Feather Readers. This is Patrick, Jason, and Eddie for your second episode of the Pucks of a Feather podcast. It's happy firing day, guys. It's uh, <laughs> Randy's last day in the office. He got handed his uh, pink slip in a box to pack up all his crap and get it the hell out of Anaheim. It How actually happened. <laughs> it actually happened. I, we thought it would never happen. And it happened like the most like circus way possible that Bob, Bob Murray's like, you know what? I got this, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be behind the bench for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to take over another job, and I'm only going to take half the salary because he's just that nice. Yeah, and he's doing three jobs now. Executive vice president, general manager, and now the head coach, uh, you know, pulling the reins for this Ducks team that's just sledding through the seventh circle of hell right now. Um, <clears throat> and it all happened like just randomly at 9.30 in the morning. 9.30 in the morning, a tweet pops out. Breaking news. <laughs> hey, guess what? Yeah. Uh, Bob Murray flew home from Sweden just in time to uh, to can his best friend before the homestand. Just uh, very interesting the way this all kind of just, I don't, I don't want to say came together because it kind of just crumbled. And uh, that's, how it, that's how it happened here for Randy Carlisle. We got uh, Matter. You haven't, uh, you haven't introduced Jason yet. Oh, oh. yeah, he's just here and nobody's <laughs> heard his voice before, unless you've obviously listened to our other podcast and you have. But I assume I yeah. transcend all platforms and everyone knows me all times. Yeah, no, that's very um, true. Yeah, so, Jason, say hello to everybody on Pucks with Feather quickly. Hi, guys. <laughs> if you might, you might know him from uh, the Forever Mighty Post Game Show alongside Eddie and myself but uh it's a it's a three-man show today just because we felt we should all be on one show together to start off the the pod but uh like it'll go back to normal we will be a two-man show with us rotating in and out but uh like i said especially for breaking news like this i think it's good to have all of us on a show so yeah, we'll probably make out. exceptions like that right if there's a big thanks, deal randy. we should all just come together yeah thanks randy <laughs> thank you henry and susan samwelly for exactly the Sam making Webb. the call <laughs> They so, just keep doing good things for this organization now. <laughs> I I was, yeah, I know, right? They invest hundreds of millions of dollars of their money into uh-huh. a team because they love hockey. And then uh, they let Bobby <laughs> run the show. Bobby gets a little wild, wants to bring his best friend in. It's a little wild and uh, brings him in for a second stint. doesn't quite work out. And then he has to go tell mom and dad that uh, it's not working. And they're like, yeah, we know. Fire him, please. Yeah. So how do you guys feel about it? Is this... Um, came off as kind of a shock it really did it really came off as a shock to me um it was something obviously we've all been kind of rooting for just you know not out of hate for randy mostly because he's just not a good coach in the nhl it mostly just came out of our team is suffering because of him <laughs> it's not a personal it's, thing it's it uh, felt like it wasn't gonna happen like yeah. we all resigned to the fact that he was gonna be here for the rest of the year and Nothing was going to happen, and Dallas Aikens wasn't going to come up from San Diego because they're playing well, and there was no interim guy that was going to come in because none of the Ducks' assistant coaches were going to be that guy. And it ends up being, like, the last thing. Like, this never crossed my mind, this scenario. I thought, like, this was so far out of possibility for me. I had never thought about it once. <laughs> Bob, Bob Murray would take over behind the bench. Yeah, that part's a little strange. Him coming in and, uh, you know, hey, I'll put on, lace it up again and uh, get out on the ice. Uh, I didn't think I'd be seeing those photos for sure. Uh, but I, I just thought with this last uh, five-game losing streak, who we were losing to, how badly we were losing, and how disengaged the entire team was, it was just like even if you wanted to just try and kick the can down the road to the end of the season, it was just so horrifically bad and just looked awful that you just had to do something it's just should have been done a long long time ago like i i I was like are you serious and then to see pictures of him on anaheim ice bob murray strapping on the old skates with the old boys getting back (laughs) into the game of hockey you know hanging out playing shitty europe apparently like he just he just all of a sudden goes from being in europe to being on the ice as the ducks uh, coach and general manager all of a sudden How, how do what you guys life. explain how this came about? Because I really have to wonder how much communication back and forth. I, I assume they're pretty tight, the Sam Willies and Bob Murray, because he's an executive vice president for them, plus a general manager and now head coach. I wonder how much pressure was from them because all of the season ticket holders have been receiving over the past few weeks their renewal notices. 
They're literally getting phone calls. Ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hey, this is Jack, and I work for the Anaheim Ducks. I'm your ticket rep. Hey, are you guys excited about you know, the playoffs coming up? Well, hey, man, we're not really like, in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, but we're four points instant. out. Our team's killing it. It's like, uh, Instant hang up. Yeah. I just don't. like How much pressure came because of all that flack, and they're not. And they see the renewal numbers for sure. I oh, mean, yeah. it's got to be they're just pushing pressure on Bob. Like, dude, you said your friend wasn't going to F this up. And here he is. We've lost 19 you said to 21. Your buddy was cool, man. He said yeah. he was cool. <laughs> He's a cool, cool guy. He's messing up the party that we were having here. So was it uh, that? Or is it they, that Bob was just finally like, that's it. That's the number. We hit 19 no. in 21 no. games. Time to fire you. That has no. nothing it's to do with it. It's, it's definitely the, that with the season tickets thing. And it just like every, like this is everywhere now. Like this is, this is everywhere. It's mainstream. Like you've got TSN, you got NBC, you've got like the athletic and not even just the, the LA side of it. You've got like literally everybody covering the ducks about how bad they are and it's out there. And then, you know, the story that, that, uh, from one of our listeners too, Andrew Glad and his wife who were on their honeymoon and they were going to the the road trip from Winnipeg to Toronto to Montreal to Ottawa where the Ducks just got completely obliterated. And uh, you got James Duffy giving them to a, a, a four-night stay in Turks and Caicos because of how horrible the Ducks' road trip was. Like, you've got all this stuff in the news. Like, there's that. Like, the Ducks never want to look bad. They don't want to look bad. And then like now that they look horrible and you've got season ticket numbers coming in, like, the, all of that together – is is to me the reason that Randy's getting fired now. Yeah, it wasn't going to be Bob Murray's idea. I mean, he was adamant that it was the players that needed to step up and it wasn't going to be doing anything. And he could have done it on the franchise's worst losing streak of all time. He waits to the, I mean, he doesn't all of a sudden third seven plus game losing streak within this season. All of a sudden he has a uh, change of heart. Like, eh, you know, maybe this isn't really working out. No, he was just going to write it out. The season was lost. He was going to look to move pieces and uh yeah the, the season ticket holders i'm not renewing this crap no one's talking to us because they're horrible at communication the ducks cannot talk to anybody and like ed said cannot look bad in any light so uh they just uh, eventually those numbers were coming in and everyone was telling them exactly why they weren't going to renew and that's when all right you're, you're starting to affect the pocketbooks a little you need to do something here bob yeah, I mean, we don't know for sure, right, if, if the season ticket numbers are down. You would just assume they are because you look at a lot of people who follow the blog as well on on social media. And then you've got just people who follow the podcast as well. And, like, you just see season ticket holders in, in regular. Like, they're just upset. They're pissed off. A lot of people saying they aren't going to renew their season tickets. A lot of people say they're selling off the remaining tickets they have this year. So, like, we don't know for sure if the numbers are down. But, like, just looking at the reaction from people, you would assume that – there is a fair amount of people who are considering not renewing their tickets. Oh, they definitely that's definitely got to be the case. You have to you have to assume that's the case. Like people are fed up with this crap last playoffs. They didn't make any moves in the offseason to do anything really. They traded away a franchise, you know, favorite and Andrew Cogliano for somebody that mm. really hasn't brought anything to this team to bring back that that sort of play when Cogliano was in his peak, right? And the and the and the normal normal fans around around the uh, around the team, they see that, and then they see the team plummeting. And I mean, sure, Andrew Cogliano was he probably past his prime? Yeah, was he yes. less effective than previous? Of course, but the entire team was less effective than previous seasons. And it's just it's one hit after another to this fan base. And you can only blame injuries for so long before you have to look at management and be like, okay, so. What are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to rely on my twenty uh, something leadership group. They need to step up. I'm very disappointed in my twenty something year olds, dude. You can't go back to your ex wife and expect <laughs> to work out. Sorry, Eddie. That's a bleep. That just you didn't just <laughs> use that uh, that what, what is that called? Like, you didn't just you didn't just use that scenario to explain it. That's ex wife. Yes, girlfriend. It's what it is. It's what it is. That. It's the worst comparison. Really, you like going back to your ex-wife or ex-girlfriend if no, things work I, out? I, I get, I get it. I just, it's such, it's such a dumb comparison. I hate seeing it. Like it just sounds so stupid. It's like, his best friend. It's not like it's like a random coach. Ex-wife. It's like it's a random coach. It's the second time that he's been in this, in, uh, in this team and been in charge <laughs> and just has in, run in things team. into the ground. I'm flabbergasted at this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
falling apart. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know what to tell uh, you, man. Yeah, uh, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit, digress. Uh, yeah, Cagliano was a casualty in all of this, but this is uh, this is a team that gave up on Randy Carlisle throughout the season. Um, and, uh, you know, Bob Murray was just, you know, it was his choice. He doesn't want to look like he did a bad thing. And he has plans for Randy Carlisle in the future. Why? I'm not sure. Yeah, they're still opinion. talking, apparently. They're, it's, it's, it's long past his usefulness. Uh, it was a good shot. Hey, we, we got to the conference finals. First year he was there. Um, and, you know, that's that's the best we can kind of hope for was that moment. And since then, it's the league has absolutely changed, whether it's injuries or not. And it's changed so rapidly. Carlisle is not a fix. And I really think he's kind of out of touch with what works. He's still stuck in what used to work in his day. It's they didn't just, wear helmets back then. <laughs> it's it's unreal. I mean, let's look at what led up to this. If you Because the last time we were on here i think was right after the break like we hadn't even got to the winnipeg game yet so it's just been a mess since coming back it's what been six six straight losses since coming back from the break now and they had the one prior to the break has it been has it been five it was five five okay yeah so they lost oh yeah they lost to new york and st louis before the break and then since coming back they've allowed 29 goals against and they've scored seven in five (laughs) games so they've allowed almost, almost six, six goals per game, <laughs> and they've scored seven. So just slightly over one goal per game. Gibson uh, Gibson's done. <laughs> he's just exhausted. <laughs> I mean, at that point, he, he, he stopped caring. He stopped. I, I quite frankly don't blame him either. He's too tired, or he's yeah. just the focus is gone. And so the it's, the the, be, the being able to bail them out was was long gone after that. It's been a slow decline to where he's at now so let's everything let's ask like go ahead go ahead no i was gonna say so what what difference does it make here uh with i know it's two different teams clearly but why is bob so willing to give the leash to randy and say it's the players forever this season when clearly they were not good last year and they're not good this year and he finally fires him and, but he, it seemed like he was just going to let this roll. So that's why I always feel like it came from somewhere else. But why is he giving him such a long leash? But then you go back to our previous coach who had success but didn't get over the hump. It was all his fault. Don't understand. I, say, I don't think he said it was all his fault. I don't think – I think he had the same type of excuses where he said it's on the players as well because they were looking to make some changes at that time. If you got to get pumped up for a game seven by a coach – that's that's on you. I'm sorry. That's on you. You 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 yeah. should never need a coach to to rile you up for a game seven with your Bruce Boudreaux. I don't, so he gets fired for those shortcomings, and you get Randy, and Randy just just slides through trash, and is able to get away with it. I just don't understand the difference here. Yeah, I, once again, and we don't know either because we easily would have uh, pegged Randy Carlyle to be uh, fired if not even. You know, early on, I mean, the fact that we even were decent at the beginning, you could just see watching anyone who watched the games go, well, we're, we're lucking out here. Uh, and I have no idea other than he was waiting for uh, something maybe like the second half because we weren't all that good. We really aren't a good out-of-the-gate team. But we always seem to turn it on after the All-Star break. So I don't know if that's what he was waiting for, some big turnaround. But this year has been so different from years past where we've never looked like a team that can compete in this league at all. There's just been nothing there. So why we waited this long, I have no idea. Why he's gotten such a long leash is beyond me as well. You know what might be the last straw? Like, if if you want to subscribe to the idea that it was Bob Murray who made this decision and he finally felt like enough is enough, after the loss to Philadelphia, the Ducks slid all the way down to bottom in the Western Conference because other teams picked up wins. Like, that could have been it. Like, it's that's the only thing I could think of where Bob made the call. It's like, well, now we are literally the worst team in the Western Conference, I have to do something. And, like, that shouldn't be it, but, you know, that that's the only thing I can think of because otherwise it does seem, like you said, it, like it's come from above. Like the Samuelis were like, okay, we got to we gotta nip this in the bud now and get them out of here and at least save some face. But that's the only thing I can think of. It's like they now are the worst team in the Western Conference, so he's got to make some changes, but I, I doubt it. What do you guys feel about him being a coach now? There's some uh, kind of shift gears here. We're past the Randy part here. 
we all know we're on the same page with him. But how about Bob Murray stepping out of the norm and pulling a Lou Lamorello uh, and taking the reins behind the bench, also remaining GM, also remaining vice president or uh, executive vice president uh, for AKA the Ducks. Supreme Overlord. Exactly, <laughs> AKA Supreme <laughs> Overlord. He's got a lot of control. He's got his hands everywhere on this team. What do you guys feel about? his coaching ability or capability or should we not even worry about it at this point? Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, this, this is a lost season. There's, there's not much to try and build on at this point. Um, about the only thing is that what, what coach would you bring in there if it wasn't going to be him uh, on an interim basis? Uh, the, you really wouldn't want to just throw, you know, any of the assistant coaches that are there don't have head coaching experience. It's really not fair to throw them in there. It's kind of the same voices these players have heard uh, throughout the season. And, you know, it's not going to change all that much. So uh, you wouldn't really want to throw them in there. You could bring up Dallas Eakins, but that team, uh, the goal San Diego is doing so well. Why mess with that? Keep that thing going. That's worth, uh, you know, uh, just leaving that the way it is and not making any other moves. So it's more or less kind of him almost kind of doing a little bit of a scouting thing, in my opinion. He's got a coach. He's maybe going to implement things that he thinks this team should be doing and trying to make that work. But, I mean, I don't think he's going to be super hands-on. I don't think it's going to be something that turns this team around. He's more or less going, this is the way I think we should be playing. I'll probably get a coach that feels similar to that. And I'm going to evaluate now, do my little bit of scouting. So he's playing Who's role of like work? psychologist on the team and then letting the team, <laughs> right? He's in there feeling out what's going on and how the players are are, uh, are reacting to things. Because you could see the pictures, and I know the head coaches talk to everybody on the ice a lot. But you can see Bob being the GM down there talking to Corey Perry, over talking yeah. to other players on the team. Yeah, so he's kind of like the yeah. team psychologist here right now, trying to fill out what's going on and then let his staff run the show, I would think. I would be terrified. Like if I was a player at this point, you come up to a trade deadline, you've been playing like crap, and like now you've got the GM like around you almost twenty four seven, right? Anytime you're on the ice, now he's there. Usually, you don't really like he just kind of is the hand that controls from behind the scenes, and you don't have to see him as often as you see the head coach. Now he's there all the time, and it's like all these guys who are, are coming up in trade rumors, like Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg and Cam Fowler, he gets to get a, like a front row seat to watching these guys uh, more regularly than he normally gets to do. So if I was those guys and, and I was worried about possibly not being on this team anymore, I'd be I'd be a little bit scared to maybe competing a little bit more. I don't think the Ducks are going to play better with him here, but this is and I know this isn't an option I thought would happen, but it's probably the best option they could have gone with, right? Like, what's the point of of promoting one of the assistant coaches on an interim basis, like you said, because they are the voices that the, the Ducks players have heard all season. And, you know, there's no point in bringing up Dallas Akins, and you really don't want to go out and get somebody else who's available right now and just hire them for two months of the season, right? That, like, that's pointless as well. So this was the most likely option, and the, or at least the one that makes the most sense, but one I didn't think would happen. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it's I, – I wouldn't be terrified as a player. I, I actually kind of like it. I, I'm a big person on communication. If the GM is the one who's going to, you know, wants it to play a certain way, um, I would like to hear it from him and say, listen, this is how I think you should be utilized. And if I know what he's thinking or how he wants me to do it, I don't necessarily get that information when he's up behind the scenes. So me personally, I would like to know what he wants me to do and then go out and do that. Usually it's the coach who's in charge of that, and then he talks to the GM about it. So to, to kind of get through that middleman and you know be direct there, I, I would like to know what you're expecting of me, and then I can go do that. I think the message has been so lost uh, through Carlisle, what he wants the team to do, that I think the players are very open to having Bob Murray in there and trying to you know work what he thinks the team should do. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's kind of a situation where Bob's going to get a feel for how his players are playing, but I think everyone there should be a little bit nervous because even if you get traded off this team, your value has to have taken a tiny bit of a hit. You're, no one here is having a good season. So if you're Jacob Silverberg and you're playing for a big money contract and right now you're sitting at 12 goals, well, hey man, you got 26 games here to, to, to up that ante to, in order to get that next contract and make yourself known around the league as a as legitimate threat. And that's going to be tough to do for a lot of these guys. So it affects Murray with the trade value. I think a little bit. I don't think a ton because I think this could be considered an aberration. 
But I think the players need to pick it up. If they want to go somewhere else, some of them, some of them, I'm sure they do. Um, then they need to figure out a way to start putting the goals in the back of the net. Which leads me kind of to my next question for you guys: Is looking at this team from last year to this year, where is that stark difference when it comes to this team just forgetting how to defend at all? I mean, they relied heavily on John Gibson last year in this system, but they can't score one. And two, the defense just seems non-existent. Is this just really a Carlisle problem? And I think it is. I think his message is lost on this team, in my opinion. But what do you guys think about that? I, I guess if this is just a Carlisle problem, like I feel, I think like most people thought it, it was like 80% a Carlisle problem. Like his system just didn't work. If you look at Randy last year versus Randy this year, there's a lot of similarities into how the Ducks played. They just, there's just a couple areas where they were just like flat out better last year. When they were trailing, they actually had some fight and were able to get back into games. And their offense at five on five was around league average. And this year it's just fallen off the cliff. And that kind of signals the the small shift in system that they made to try and get a little bit faster while still playing the same Randy Carlisle system. And it's just not worked. Goaltending has still been the same, if not better. And that's really it. So it, it kind of leads you to believe that it is a coaching issue and a systems issue and a Randy Carlisle issue. But it is on some of the players, too, like Cam Fowler just his awareness and and him not picking up guys same goes for josh manson and turnovers that's a bit on the system but that's also on those guys as well i mean awareness no matter what that's that's a player issue not a system issue and ricardo raquel and his struggles that's partially on the system not being able to generate offense but that also some of some of the blame has to be shouldered by him as well yeah i i feel carlisle systems partly to blame um and what you know, Bob Murray wanted to do after the playoff sweep last year was to get faster to play the new type. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Carlisle, he doesn't know how to play a quick game. He, he tries to do, you know, a, a, a certain type of breakout, a grind, a get to the kind of front of the net type of deal. But it's you can play quick, which just has passing happening you don't have to be necessarily the fastest skaters but his style has uh has stayed somewhat the same or mostly the same and the nhl has just flown past them literally just in speed and how the game is played now and they i think they tried to make carlisle change his way to adapt to the nhl and he couldn't do it he's stuck between what worked for him and what he's known exactly what the nhl isn't that weird jay because you look around it's a it's been a copycat league you get faster. Yeah, There's a way there a to while. figure it out. All yeah. you have to do is watch yeah, the successful teams do a breakout. No one's standing on the blue line waiting for the puck carrier to come in. They move as a forward unit. The mm-hmm. defensemen, there's mobile defensemen on this team that have no one to pass to because they're a mile ahead standing around. I just, I don't get how he looks at this team and watches tape and goes, I don't know why it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, and so from last year to this year, you know, yeah, they're trying to change maybe what they were doing, but then they tried to change up the personnels that worked last year with, you know, Lindholm and Manson. That's always been one of my biggest gripes is you guys had the almost the envy of the league in your top four. It was looking great, top two, three defense in the entire NHL, and then they just wanted to just mess around with it because they wanted left hand and right hand, left hand and right hand, and you know, or they wanted you know a, a stay at home and a hitter and a grinder and a speedster on the other line. They they wanted to change that around, and they didn't change it around to the fifty third game of the season, and it was just floundering. Their defense is is bad, and now it's also if you listen to what the players said, even like last year when they were they lose, they go like, we know if we just stick to the game plan, eventually they'll start going in. That third period comes around, we're going to kick it back in and go. I never heard that this year. It's no. never stick to the game plan. This team is just they. The players have known, hey, if we get down, this system's not going to work anyways. And there's just no stick to the system. It'll work. It's been, well, here we go again. And that's that's kind of been a you know a telling sign too is I, I don't hear any of that from last year to this year they they don't have faith in the system or the coaching. You know what'll be interesting is to see what Bob Murray does with the lines for this team in his first yeah. couple of games and that's what, go next. what yeah. he wants to do. Yeah, because we've seen Lindholm and Manson together one game this year, game number fifty three, I believe, against Toronto. 
that's the only game we've seen them together at the start of the game to the end of the game. They lost 6-1, and the Ducks quickly changed that. And this was a pairing that, for a long time, has been one of the best in the league when you look at controlling shot attempts and just controlling play in general. And you don't split those up. You really don't, and I don't know why they did. And, and even you look at the end of last year, Cam Fowler and Brandon Montour just seemed to work together. We've been talking about this all year and how it makes no sense to split those guys up. But it'll be interesting to see because Bob Murray, out of everybody, would be the guy that you would think would know who works with who and who should work with who and it will give you an idea maybe of the guys he likes more than other guys and who he wants to see do well and maybe who if he's gonna test some guys out and play them in the top six or play the or you know put some guys farther down if he wants to get an idea of how guys can play in and out of the lineup so i'm really interested to see because we could see a massive shakeup where we see the defense go back to normal we see some of the most of the lines if not all of them split up on the on Wednesday's game against Vancouver because his process and his idea of, of what is a competitive lineup and what are the best lines for this team could be drastically different than what Randy Carlisle had. Especially because Carlisle's situation and, and systems and you know team management wasn't working. So it, it is interesting to see what kind of angle Bob Murray's going to take. Uh, I think he has his work cut out for him, though, because there's not a lot of drive in this team. And there hasn't been any changeover in personnel enough to shake things up. So I'm curious to see where it's going to go. But let's hop off the Bob Murray conversation here. Let's talk about John Gibson. So Gibby gets run over like a freight train thanks to Jacob Megna's... uh, Or was it Josh Mahura? I'm trying to think of who that was. was Megna. On just a bonehead play where he he gets out of position and tries to get back into position, trying to go back check. And ends up flying hip first into Gibby's head, who hits the crossbar. Gibby finishes the period, and then in comes Chad Johnson. Gibson is, he's not on the IR, right? He's he day-to-day? Is that what they're listing him as? He's, it's the worst possible thing when you get hit, hit in the head, is the infamous day-to-day with an upper body injury. It's which is, he's got a concussion, and we don't know how long he's going to be out, so he's listed as day-to-day. Until it's basically he's day to day until he's better. That's just what it is. And then if it gets to a point where you got to put him on the IR, you put him on the IR. But like right now he's being scratched, and and again that's a bad sign. It's a bad sign. No update. Like like that's what you see all the time with concussions. Is a day to day upper body injury, and he got hit in the head. Like there's nothing else it could really be. I think if it was something other than a concussion, you'd see a little bit more of an update. Like he'd be out skating, or you know if it was a neck injury, he'd probably be out skating. Yeah. Why was he not out skating so, at the last game? Well, it's it's a concussion. Like I don't want to say for sure because there's been no update. But like, what else could it be? So Jay, what's your assessment of the goaltending situation in Anaheim now? You're you're a goalie guru. Yes, yes. So I play and I played at a reasonably high level in my beer league. I must say. <laughs> but you watch but, goalies uh, a lot. You understand the uh, position. Yes, I watch. I, so I can see some of the nuances and uh, little things that might get missed just because I, I have to deal with them too. So. Um, yeah, uh, that that's going to be a concussion, um, and when you get shot at and it goes towards your head a lot, um, they're going to take a little bit extra precaution. At this point, there's really no reason to rush him back in. Um, it's I kind of almost feel bad because he was so good early on, was probably the only reason that Randy kept his job for as long as he did this season. If he doesn't have that spectacular start in the beginning and that team's floundering early on, then you know this is a much different scenario uh he's his focus has been gone and has been slipping since before the all-star game that will happen with goalies if you your team in front of you is playing such piss poor defense like we've seen where uh, almost like they they don't know how to play defense they didn't know how to defend two on ones you know they everything was getting past them people were being left wide open You, you can't keep playing at that high level keep bailing your team out they don't score any goals, and then literally you're on the that um, you know on the edge all the time. Where literally every goal goes in, that might be the game winner. You might lose one nothing, and you could have a spectacular game. And goalies can't really play like that for a long period of time. They might be able to string it together for a little bit, but ultimately you'll see a decline. You'll either start seeing injuries, you'll see uh, goals go in that don't normally go in, and we've been seeing a lot more of those from him. 
But at the same time, he is left out to dry, and it doesn't matter who you put in there. It could be Ryan Miller. It could be Chad Johnson. So what does that do to his Vesta nomination? That's gone now, right? No, it was long gone. It's out the window. (laughs) It was gone after. Vesna voting mostly goes off of the big three, the goals against average, the overall save percentage, and most kind of importantly, which it shouldn't be, is wins. But those are all heavily influenced by your team. He hasn't been the tops in those categories pretty much all season. Uh, but he has all the underlying ones, which is high danger save percentage, high danger shots against, most shots against. I mean, he has the most saves in the NHL. He's played almost the most amount of minutes in the NHL. So he's done a lot, but his Vesna chances were, were there, and he was keeping him alive, but his team failed him. So there's no way he's in for Vesna. Five games killed his Vesna chances because it was always the underlying numbers were why John Gibson should win. And he was finally getting recognition. And then all of those numbers took massive hits with the Ducks just getting completely obliterated in his, uh, what, he had three starts before getting injured. It was the 9-3 loss to Winnipeg, the loss to uh, Toronto, and the loss to Ottawa. And he got injured in the Ottawa game. So they just they just took a hit and they're done. Like it's done after that. His regular raw numbers got completely destroyed, especially in the Winnipeg game, a six goal first period. That your goals against average after that is going right out the window. Same with your save percentage. But then you get goals saved above average that takes a hit when he allows like what twelve goals over three games, and all those numbers take a hit when you've got Laner and all the other guys that were close in that category playing really well. So it sucks because he probably still deserves it. And he probably deserves the heart if you're looking at most valuable player, as in the guy who's most valuable to your team. I would struggle to look at any other team in this league and pick a guy who's more valuable to their team than John Gibson is to the Anaheim Ducks. You wouldn't Jesus. even say Connor McDavid. <laughs> it's close, but I mean, look at like look at the Ducks without John Gibson this year. Like, how many wins would they? How far below 500 would they be? Like. They would be ridiculous. Like, if it was Chad Johnson and Kevin Boyle all season, I know you can say that for pretty much any team, but even if you just had an average goaltender in this year, like, we are talking about goals saved above average. It's like 22 extra goals against that the Ducks would have this year with an average goaltender in net. How many losses is that? That's seven, probably seven or eight more losses right there. I mean, what? He's been pulled in four straight games, too, if I remember correctly. Yep. It's uh, been yeah, brutal. St. Louis, and then I, I think he's been pulled. Got in, pulled in Winnipeg, got pulled in Toronto, yeah. and then got technically pulled in, in Ottawa because he got injured. So he's yeah. had 18 goals against in four games. That That's brutal. Yeah, if you if actually go back, all last six games, the starting goalies have all been pulled at some point, <laughs> whether it's Gibson or Chad yeah. Johnson. No one's, no one's been able well. to finish a game. So it doesn't matter who's in that. This team is just so bad on defense. Uh yeah, hopefully that changes, but that's uh, it's going to take a lot. When you allow over almost six goals per game over that span, th- yeah. then your your goalies generally going to get pulled. Yeah, and they're going to lose their focus. It's just like everything. You'll lose your focus, or you start second guessing what you're doing, um, and that's when passes get through that shouldn't get through. Now, every time that happens in a goalie's mind. They now have to worry about a pass. They don't worry about the shooter. And then that's when pucks start going past you is when you're worried about anybody else on the ice. Literally anybody could score a goal. Your own team could deflect one in at that point. And when you're playing that bad, you just start – your mind goes away from the sole focus of puck, stop puck. And then it starts going into this guy, that guy. My defense is not going to help me here. I've got to make up for them. You start doing things that are just a little bit off and your timing's off and it just it goes out the window. Let's keep on the goalie train and talk about Kevin Boyle. He made his debut last game. Unfortunately, yeah. it was in a losing effort to the <laughs> Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, in yeah. large part to just an abysmal, I don't know how many first periods you've seen like that, but it was something that we just, like a broken record as of late. Ducks go down 4 nothing in the first period to the Flyers. Uh, but Boyle, you guys, I thought he looked really good. I thought he looked good. really good. He looked sharp. He looked nervous. Uh, he looked like he was playing positionally very well. And the two goals that went in were kind of like, what are you going to do? Like, the Ducks had their crease out number down low uh, on him. And I don't. Th- I really think that almost any goals hitter would have gave up those two. But what's your guys' overall feeling on Kevin Boyle? You know, the, the story of that game, it was the Carter Hart show. And that's what everybody was there to see. That's your boy. It? That's your boy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It was the – everybody's there to see. The, <laughs> the next carry Price. 
winning uh, <laughs> winning his eighth game straight, the tied a record for an under 21 goaltender winning eight games in a row. That's yeah, what everybody was there to see. But Kevin Boyle, like, kind of got an underrated. He kind of got put to the side because the Ducks lost that game. He came in and had a really strong effort. He had to make 26 or 24 saves in the two periods that he played, which is a, which is a decent amount. That's usually a full game total. And he played really well. The goals that got scored on him, you can't really fall them too much. I know he didn't really clean up the Sandheim effort, which allowed Konechny to, to get a piece of it out of midair. But he had a really strong game for an NHL debut where you got to go into a game where you're down 4 nothing after the first period, <laughs> playing behind a team who really does not care if they give uh, give up you know, a ton of high danger chances against throughout the throughout the entire game. So he came in and did well. And, and I know it's a small sample size, but he's really starting to prove with his play in the AHL this year, where he ended up going to the all-star game because Troy Terry didn't go. And then with this one game that he's played so far up here, that he could be in the mix for backup goaltender for next year for the Ducks if they decide to move on from Ryan Miller. Does he get the start on Wednesday? Should. Right? Like what do you like? What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think he should. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think Chad Johnson's going to do any uh, better than uh, Boyle would. Uh, once again, I I think it might be just same reason we don't really bring the other kids up from the the goals. I mean, I won't want any of those players being around this mentality. Now that might change as far as how the locker room is now that uh, Carlisle's out and you got Bob Murray in. Um, I think you know Bob Murray being coach. I think Chad Johnson will get another crack at it he'll get another chance to go for it if ryan miller's good to go that's the ace in the hole but um you know in my opinion why why try and and put him in this situation again doesn't make a lot of sense let him go back down to san diego where there's fun there's winning and um it's a it's a little bit better but that's only that's only gonna happen if gibby's okay if yeah, not, Boyle's going to stay up. Miller comes yeah. back. If yeah. he's if here Miller. anyway, like, why not play him? Miller's right? like, been practicing, too. So, I mean, because yeah. oh. uh, they, they, once again, I, I don't think that they want to throw. You, it, goalies take a little bit longer to develop. And the reason, in my opinion, it takes that way is it's experience. That's why it's so unusual to see Carter Hart come in at 20 years old and be given the the starting and that was even after they went through multiple injuries at goal the goaltending position and everybody who even came in there was just horrible to begin with so it's something that you take a little bit of time because goalies need experience and what i mean is they have to see situational plays happen and they have to learn from it the more you see certain plays break down you start to anticipate better and it becomes a second nature thing you don't get that unless you get a lot of time doing it and if you're going to have him be you know possibly that guy who's going to come up through the ranks you don't want him sitting on the bench watching things happen either so that's why i feel like as soon as they can they're going to try and move him down if miller can get back in but um you know it's 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 tough it's not a good situation so why why put you know a young guy through that make him think that he can't compete at the nhl level you think he's a backup next year guys uh yeah if they don't resign miller i don't see why not unless they want to go out and get a proven backup because chad johnson's uh he got a shot but he's he's not good enough there's not a lot of options either like to go out and get a backup but if you're not trying to contend next year you might (laughs) (laughs) if you're not trying to contend next year you might as well give him a shot but like if if miller and gibson aren't ready this guy came in played really well I think it's a bit different for goaltenders than it is for forwards. Like, reward this guy for coming in and playing very well and give him his first NHL start if the only options you have are Chad Johnson and him. I mean, he deserves to get the start on Wednesday based off the way Chad Johnson has played. Not saying keep him up here all year, but at least give him the one start until Ryan Miller or John Gibson are ready to come. I think that is more of a boost for the confidence. Even if the game goes bad, it shows that management has confidence in you and and likes what you did in that last game that you can go in and get your first start. He didn't, unfortunately, get a win. And the only reason he's even in there is because their top two goalies are injured and their third goalie is not good. Uh, I mean, he's, he's decent enough. This team's so bad. So I don't think he did enough. The fact that he did end up giving up two goals, whether they're his fault or not, 
Um, I, I think they're going to give Johnson another crack at it if uh, you know Gibson or Miller aren't able to jump back in. I just don't think they're going to see what he did and go like, well, this is this is where we want to start. We want to start with this guy. I think they're going to try, hey, brand new, fresh start. Let's go with our depth chart. And they got Chad Johnson a little bit higher. And I, I and Bob Murray picked up Chad Johnson, so he's not going to go back on one of his mistakes either. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think he's going to go with, with Chad. He's going to keep Boyle fresh to go down to the Gulls once Gibby or Miller's back in order to, to, to get that AHL Calder Cup championship ability primed and ready because that team's really good so the goals need to have a healthy goaltender to back in san diego but let's hop ahead and look at the trade deadline so we have several players (laughs) now as eddie said earlier that uh are being looked at whether it's mainstream media or fans as either guys that we think we want to get rid of or guys that are being talked about that bob murray should get rid of obviously Jacob Silverberg comes to mind, but uh, you got to touch on that a little bit because Bob Murray came out and said that uh, he's going to try to resign him. And then Silverberg comes out and says, I want to stay. Does that mean that we're going to see Jacob Silverberg take a hometown discount? Or do you think that's just all fluff to avoid any sort of media mess and the Ducks are actually going to trade him come trade deadline? How do you guys feel about Jacob Silverberg staying on long term? it's fluff. It, it's fluff. What, what's the guy? What's the guy going to come out and say? Silverberg's going to come out and say, "I don't want to be here." And Bob Ray's going to come out and say, "I don't want this guy here. I'm not going to try and resign him. I'm going to trade him." Like this is what you see from everybody, unless it's a player who's publicly asked unless you're Russian. Trade or is or is a guy who's who's not saying anything, and usually that means they they're asking for a trade, like Artemi Panarin. But the, the Ducks don't. They rarely do this, where they they come out and say. Oh yeah, we're not looking to re-sign this guy. They they were talking in contract talks with Kyle Palmieri, and then after they traded him, Bob Murray said, "Oh well, you know, I didn't think we'd be able to re-sign him at how much he was going to to ask for." So, I think they're just saying it. I do think he's actively trying to re-sign him, which is probably the wrong move because you look at the fact that you got Pierre LeBrun uh, in in an article saying that the two sides are getting close to a deal, but if nothing is signed come the deadline that they are going to trade him i'm a little bit worried about that but i think as for their comments they're they're pure, pure fluff they're not going to come out and say anything otherwise yeah um you know unless it's you know a lot less than what most people are thinking most people are thinking somewhere in the you know five to six million dollar range um i reserve the um or the best way to kind of think about maybe what a player deserves is what you project his points total being. And I think with Silverberg, he's more of a 40 to 50 point getter. Uh, in my opinion, that puts you every 10 points you get, and this is usually the standard, it seems like, is a million. So every 10 points you get, you get about a million. If you're a 10-point guy, you get about a million. You do you know, 20 points, you're about 2 million, and you start going up, unless you're a goal scorer. If you're a legit threat to score goals, you get a little bit kick up there in that um that's what he's kind of been projected to do for a while and never really kind of followed through he's only got 12 goals this year sadly it is tops on this team because this team sucks and is desperate for goal scoring um so i think with this maybe down tick it might actually benefit the ducks if they want to resign him and do it at a lower team-friendly cost the team will always try and do that. The only way that you wouldn't want to do that is if you find out that he is looking at six mil and that's what he wants and you don't project him to get 60 points, then you look to trade. Because then at this point, if like uh, uh, Brian Boyle pulling in a second-round draft pick, what would Silverberg do for a team? And especially yeah. if the price of that bar has been set there and as we get close to the deadline, teams start seeing what other teams are doing and then they've got to try and jump in on that. So. They'll go ahead and maybe overpay for a Silverberg. You can't only say that offense is what should go into a, a contract discussion, though. I mean, the the, the whole the, the storyline behind Silverberg is that a lot of teams, including the Ducks, believe he's one of the best defensive forwards in the game. So, like, that goes into the price as well. Yeah, he's a 40, 50-point guy in a good year. And if you want to, if you want to use the same logic and say, you know, that's about t- a million per 10 points well that's like four or five million then add to the fact that he's definitely the best defensive forward on the ducks right now which should have value in itself 
And a lot of teams believe that as well. So, I I mean, I think that adds to it. And that's probably why you're looking at a value of around five to six million because they're looking at the potential of a guy who can get 20 goals or 40 to 50 points and then also be responsible in his own end and possibly one of the best defensive forwards you have. I mean, this is a guy you can put on your first or second power play unit. You can put on the penalty kill. You can put just use him in all situations. He's not really slow. He's not fast, but he's not slow. I mean, this is a guy that fits into pretty much any team, and that's why he'll get that much money. I think, honestly, he's probably worth that much money on a competitive team if you put him with the right guy who's going to get him 40 to 50 points. If he's getting 30 points, then 5 or $6 million isn't worth it. you got to put him with a guy who's going to be able to get him the puck and that he's going to mesh well with. Yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, Jacob Silverberg... Um, he, he's a valuable piece to the team. If you can get him in, like, a, I mean, you have to sign him short term. And you guys, I don't really think he's going to want to bite on that, right? He's going to want a long a long term deal, the guaranteed money. So I, it's going to be really tough for Bob to get him. I mean, right now I looked it up. Jacob Silver's making three point seven five million, and he's going to want to double his salary. I, I find that that's tough. He's twenty eight years old. What are you going to pay a guy who's twenty eight? You're not going to double his salary and give him six, right? There's just no way. There's no way he's going to get that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't even think in free agency like a team would have to be desperate to give him six. I I feel like five point five is is what teams will max pay for him. Is like and that's like an overpay. Um, and and I think if you were a contending team and you had the cap space and you're going to put him on your your second line and onto the power play and penalty kill, then he's probably worth five to a, a competitive team that needs help up front but also needs a, a dependable forward in their own zone. But for the Ducks, like right now he's 28. Like you said, like the, he doesn't fit into their plans. I don't get why this is happening. I think we all, we all agree, even if the Ducks get Jack Hughes, they're probably not going to be competitive again at a high level until after the Seattle expansion draft when you've got Kessler's contract off the books, Corey and Perry's big contracts off the books, and the only long-term deals you have is if Cam Fowler is still here, really. And then obviously when you re-sign Ricard Raquel, so that's that's makes no sense because at that point Silverberg is going to be 31 with three years left on a, a five to six million dollar deal. He doesn't really fit into your plans to compete at that point because how how good is he really going to be playing the same game in three years from now? Like it, it doesn't make sense to go and re-sign this guy. Just the same, it doesn't make sense to keep Adam Henrique around because it'll be the same scenario. He's 28 as well. He'll be 31, 32 the next time the Ducks are presumably competitive. So what do you get for Jacob Silverberg? You trade him. Brian Boyle got a second. What are you going to get for Silverberg? I would stay first. If it's at the deadline, it might even be uh, a first and prospect. Not a high-end blue chip one, but I, I would think that he'd at least be able to garner that given what Boyle does. And it all kind of, there's so many variables. It just depends as dominoes or shoes fall. That's where teams start to panic, and then they start going to, um, you know, see see what's out there, who's available, who's willing to do, and that's where you can maybe cash in, and we'll see if, you know, Bob Murray's not normally that guy, but this season anything's possible, so. It, for me, like, it, it, I think he should get you a late first, but this deadline is going to be so interesting with some of the UFAs that seem like they're on their way out from some of these teams. Like, you've got some big-name forwards. you got Artemi Panarin who Columbus could move on if they think they have no hope of re-signing, which he probably is not going to re-sign. You've got to move him and just get whatever you can from him. You've got Wayne Simmons, who's likely going to be on the move, even with how well the Flyers have been playing lately. He's a UFA, and I don't think they're going to re-sign him. And then you've got the duo in Ottawa, and Duchesne and, and Mark Stone. Like Those are all huge pieces that some of these top teams, like Winnipeg and Nashville, teams that possibly Jakob Silverberg could work in, they're going to go for those guys. If they're going to give up a first-round pick in assets, those are the guys they're going to go for to really have a shot at competing. And then it all depends who's left over. Sometimes that's a good thing because you'll get those big guys setting prices, and then if Silverberg's the only guy left, and there's a team out there that's desperate to try and make you know compete with, say, if Nashville signs Duchesne and Winnipeg doesn't get any of these guys, they may be like, oh, we got to go out and compete. We got to go out and get Jakob Silverberg. We'll pay a lot for him. Look what Vegas paid for Thomas Tatar when they missed out on Eric Carlson and they needed to go make a move. There's always going to be scenarios like that that happen, but it all depends. And, you know, Yaku Silver's value could go up because of it, but it could go down if all of these teams and the teams who are really big buyers end up getting bigger-name players like Simmons and Duchesne and Stone, and Silverberg ends up going to a team that isn't willing to pay that much for a rental. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's also that and uh, Silverberg's, you know, only got 12 goals. So, I mean, you can some teams might be a little gun shot on how much they're willing to give out to a 12 goal or 12 goal uh, scorer for the season. So, I mean, he, he might have, you know, also dropped his value a little bit as well as far as what they might be able to get in return. But the one thing that Bob Murray is good at is is making decent trades. Uh, he doesn't make two horrible trades unless he's they're not all winners, but uh, most of the time he's able to get what he wants or if not a little bit more that tends to work out pretty well. So what does that mean for guys like Cam Fowler then? If you're talking about trades, he's come up with the rumor mill too. And Montreal Canadiens general manager Mark Bergevin was scouting two consecutive Ducks games. Do you think that's a Fowler move? <laughs> Do you think that's somebody that that he's looking at to bring in to play alongside Shea Weber? I think maybe he looked at it and goes like, well, I'm glad I wasn't going to make that trade now. <laughs> Watching those games. Fowler's name carries a lot of weight as a skater. His, yeah. uh, his pedigree, where you know his 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 uh, offensive capability, he's able to get out of situations. He was one of the top zone exit defensemen in the league up until this season. So it's not like Cam's been bad. Um, but he's not a number one, which is what people thought he was going to be coming here. Like, oh, he's living with Scott Niedermeyer. He's a great skater. He's going to be Scott Niedermeyer. He was probably overvalued coming in, and he's probably a third defenseman, maybe second on a on a team that's, that is needing him. So I think his his name still carries some value. I, I could really see him fetching something high, you know, of high value across the league. There, there will be teams that are going to look at this and say the Ducks are bad this year. So we'll write this off and we'll look at the last few seasons where Cam Fowler has been one of the best defensemen, one of the best skating defensemen, one of the best guys in exiting his own zone, one of the guys, best guys at, at causing turnovers. He has been a very, very good defenseman, but he just has his flaws. He, he's a tough guy to match with. He has to find his, the right guy to pair him with. His awareness and his, his defensive abilities sometimes are lacking. His decision-making is sometimes off in his own zone. So there's those little things. But with the modern-day NHL, and, and you can bring in a, a left-shot defenseman who can skate like Cam Fowler, there's a lot of teams who ha- put him at high value. And I think because we see him all the time, we, we see these little flaws a little bit more than other teams do, that you know we kind of forget that he is such an elite skater. The Ducks are so bad this year that he's just had a bad season as well. I mean, if you put him in the right scenario on a good team – he'll do really well, and he'll be that two or three guy on that team. And I think that's the type of defenseman he is. And and I think what he's making maybe is a little bit more than he probably should have got. He probably should have got around you know five point five and three quarters or $6 million over about five or six years instead of the eight-year deal. But the Ducks had to give him that to get him signed. Some team will take him, and they'll, they'll pay a premium for it. But it all depends if that's going to get done now or if the Ducks even want to move on from him. They just gave him a fat deal, so I'd be surprised. But he, I think he is a valuable asset to move. Yeah, there's there's always that potential. Yeah, his, his defensive side leaves a lot to be desired. It's been on display this season. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, we, we notice the little things, especially when the team's bad and you're trying to figure out why they're so bad. You, we really start focusing on all the little things that they kind of do wrong, which is kind of good because it's good to maybe see those things that you might have glossed over before. Uh, but I think, yeah, he's he was held at such a high esteem for so long. I mean, it's about his like seventh year or uh, sixth year. I don't know. He's been around for what seems like ever. He's already tied or passed Ruslan Soleil for most uh, games as a duck defenseman. So um, he's he's got a lot as far as that skating goes. But I think we always expected him to be that number one. And now that Lindholm surpassed him, now it's kind of like, well, all right, is he really going to work into the plans? But I'd be hesitant to try and move him because keeping him and finding the right partner again and then having Lindholm and Manson and, you know, we, we can have an elite top four, which is something that is needed uh, in the NHL still, in my opinion. Um, but it'd be hard to kind of move him and there's not a whole lot that you could bring in that's going to be better than what he is. So we'd have to get a hell of a return for him. Um, and that's a possibility, but... I, I, Bob Murray's the GM. He's a defenseman. He's played over a thousand games uh, as a player on defense, and he likes Cam Fowler. He wants to keep Cam Fowler unless there's just something he cannot deny moving him. Then he'll probably stick around. I think he wants to keep these four guys. They can't. I, 
I'm sorry if you don't refer to him as Supreme Overlord. Supreme I just Overlord <laughs> Bob Murray. So uh, GM HC BM VP. Let's, let's wrap the show with taking a, a somewhat early peek at the trade deadline slash off season scenario. Pierre LeBrun uh, tweeted out the Ducks seem to be listening on a lot of their players for trades. Watch out for GM Bob Murray. He won't be afraid to let loose. Yeah, right. Like the guy's ever let loose his whole life. If the offers are fair, there's the key. He wants to retool this roster big time. Well, he stuck himself with a bunch of no-movement clauses, so that's going to be hard. But what would an ideal trade deadline or off-season scenario look like? Jay, you go first. If you, who would you trade off this team, and what would it look like for you? Uh, unlike uh, Eddie, who says that uh, getting rid of uh, Henrique might be a good move, I'm looking at uh, the possibility of um, Kessler not coming back or definitely not playing. I mean, it's obvious he's past it. So you lose that center. Getzloff has been your, your number one center for a long time. But if Kessler's gone and, you know, two, three years down the road, Getzloff's not back if that scenario happens. You don't have a lot of center depth. I mean, other than Lundstrom coming up. Uh, I think you'd want to try and keep Henrique in there. So I wouldn't want to move him. Silverberg is a movable player. And in my opinion, I'm kind of over Cam Fowler. Uh, I'm willing to move him if if we get a decent defenseman in return, one that doesn't have to necessarily match up with his perfect line mate to be successful. Um, so I'm willing to part ways with Fowler, Silverberg. I would like some draft picks, but I would also like those diamond in the rough guys that uh, we're actually usually pretty good at either drafting or being able to pick up and, and work in our system. I'm thinking we're going to have to try and make some moves for the young guys coming up. We saw Troy Terry. We saw uh, Max Jones. There's um, uh, Sam Steele is also in there. And these guys are going to need space to get in there. So there's probably going to be some movement more on the forward side or lack of resigning moving forward. But I'm more interested in what we already have and then maybe kind of retooling draft picks or adding kind of some other positional players here and there. But I, I don't see anything top end offense or defense that we're going to get. Eddie. See, I'm okay with this being a retool that takes this year, next year, possibly a third year. I'm completely fine with that. And that's why, and I think it will be like that. I honestly think if you're going to trade Adam Henrique, you do it now or next year, or you're never going to trade him. It's not going to happen. And you've wasted that trade to bring him in and you haven't got anything out of it he was brought in to turn these things around and obviously hopefully win a cup for the ducks and th it's not going to happen with the contract that he's on and the age that he's at so why why keep him around just to fill center depth when you could just bring up sam Steele, give him another shot next year bring up isaac linderstrom if you really feel like you have to bring in another guy because you're not going to have ryan kessler and it's just going to be uh ryan Getzlaff, trade henrique and bring in a guy in a one-year deal or, or a two-year deal for a way, way less money in free agency if you really want to go and explore that route. I don't want to have to pay Adam Henrique almost $6 million for the next few years. I don't think it's worth it. I think there will be teams out there, especially right now, teams that are looking for centers and the teams that miss out on Matt Duchesne that would be very interested in a player like Adam Henrique. And they'll look at what he did in New Jersey and what he did last year with the Ducks, and they'll look at bringing him in. I, I think the market would be there for a guy like Adam Henrique. So I would move on from him now, get a first-round pick, get maybe a prospect with that, and and get some more assets for this year. Jakob Silverberg is the easy one. That's the guy you should be trading no matter what. If you're going to make one move at this deadline, it's trading Jakob Silverberg, getting a late first-round pick, maybe more if you possibly can finagle a team out of it and, and get some more assets there. And then... On the blue line, Cam and Manson, if you get really good offers that you just can't refuse to move those guys, that's the only way I would do it. I think by the time the Ducks are going to be competitive again, Cam Fowler and Josh Manson are still valuable pieces to this team. And if they ever decide to go back to the pairings that worked, there is some promise there of, of being able to contend for a championship with these four on the blue line, John Gibson and Nett. So I'm not all on board with moving them unless the deal was too good to pass up. And that's that's it. Honestly, like you can't really trade anybody else. Nobody's calling on Ryan Kessler. Nobody's calling on Patrick Eves. Oh come on! No one's calling on Ryan Kessler. 
Yeah, yeah, nobody's calling. <laughs> right. The Grim Reaper's calling. Right. If you, That's if you, right. wow, who shots they fired? Got, they got dark and candid. Canadian his, shots fired. Career, <laughs> calm down here. But like, if you're gonna buy out any of them, you're gonna buy out Ryan Kessler at the end of this year. If you're gonna make a buyout, you buy him out. You save four million dollars in cap space. You pay him two for for the next five or six years. And you move on from that, and you use that cap space in another area. Other than that, you you either can't do anything, or there's no point in trading him. You, you're not going to get rid of Ricard Raquel. I would argue you shouldn't get rid of Nick Ritchie the way he's taken steps forward this year. And uh, all the other guys are either young guys or guys you can't trade, or you're not going to get anything for. Like you're not moving Andre Kasha. You can't move Perry. You're not going to move Getzlaff. You like we said, you're not moving Kester. You're not moving Eves. So th- that's it. I mean, that that that's honestly my ideal thing is is move Henrique, move Silverberg, and if you get a great offer for Fowler or Manson, just one of them, move them. That's it. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would have to go along that line. I mean, I'm more along the the lines of burn it all down. If you can get rid of anybody, um, you need to do it if they're not if they're not like a, a high end player. I mean, I, of the core that has a no move clause, you got to keep Ryan Getzloff. I mean, that guy is the face of the franchise. He's going to be the greatest duck of all time until someone else comes along. Uh, he's got the cups. He's got the gold medals. He's got the points. He's got the games played. Corey Perry, on the other hand, yeah, sure, he was good a few years ago. He's having a tough go. We'll have to see more of him, of, if he's of yeah, any sure. value. I think he's been good. fine the if games he's, he's actually played. I've been impressed. I mean, maybe. That's an understatement. Maybe. Yeah, sure, he was good a couple yeah, of years sure ago. Yeah, sure, he was good he was a couple of years ago. <laughs> a couple of years ago. I mean, maybe. But, I mean, he's been a great player for the Ducks in his prime, and he's just one of the guys who couldn't keep it up, and he slowed down. Whatever. Even, Are you going to let me burn my team down, please? No. <laughs> well, I want to know when you say burn it down. So, burn it down. I mean, you buy out Ryan Kessler. You trade Adam Henrique. You keep Ricard Raquel. You trade Jacob Silverberg. You're obviously stuck with Devin Shore, which I think he could be useful in a bottom six situation, not where he's getting some ice time on the higher end of things, and I think that's a waste of time for him. Um, You keep Carter Rowney. You don't re-up Brian Gibbons, please God. You make better use of Daniel Sprong, who is on a towards space, or uh, pace, rather, and I think he should be playing better (laughs) minutes here on the wing. And you got to keep, in my opinion, Derek Grant. I think he's useful as a fourth-line center. So I think he should come back to Anaheim. Um, the only people on defense that I care that you keep are Lindholm and maybe Brandon Montour unless you get a wild offer because he's highly sought after as well. Um, you can could, you could trade Manson or Cam Fowler, in my opinion. It, it, it's not going not gonna to hurt this team, especially if you're getting picks back or prospects. And then goaltending, I don't care what they do except just keep John Gibson. So that's my burn down. I mean, you got to buy out Kessler, though. You have to. They have to do it. He's not. So you're in the same boat as me. Like... Yeah, except I'm willing to trade everybody uh, and not resign anybody except for the players I just said. Um, I'd even be okay with them trading Brandon Montour if they got the right thing. You know, no. you can you can fetch a lot for him. You could, but then what are you going to do on the right side for your future? The Ducks, like if you had a right-handed defenseman who's a top four guy in your pipeline right now. Then go ahead, trade Brandon Montour and Josh Manson. Yeah, you have to keep one of them. I know, I know. And and if I have to pick, you got to keep Montour. You got to keep Montour. Yeah, you have to keep him. You're right. In my opinion, he's untouchable. Like if you had, if you had drafted a right-handed defenseman in the last two drafts, and they're on their way to being a top four guy, then then you could explore the idea of moving out Brandon Montour and keeping Josh Manson, even moving out both. And the other thing they need to do, Eddie, is they need to get a top five pick and draft Trevor Zegras. That's what they need to do. If they they can't get Jack Hughes or uh, or Capo Cackle, you have to get Trevor Zegras. A a good top-end center would be great on this team. But with with Trevor Zegras, the problem is, and and somebody brought this up to me recently, is uh, he's committed to BU. He's going to be an NCAA player. He'll probably play (sighs) at least two years there before he even makes his his way to Anaheim. And if you're looking at being competitive in the window that, you know, this defense is still relatively young in their late 20s, early 30s, you might want to go and get a guy like Dylan Cousins out of the WHL or Kirby Dock, a guy who could make an easier route to making his way uh, to the NHL. I mean, obviously, the, the goal is Jack Hughes and him coming and playing next year for the Ducks and being a impact player the next two or three seasons. That's the main goal. That's the guy you want. Capocacco is a nice secondary option. Don't know if he's going to be a center full-time in this league, but you could potentially draft a center later in the round, or if you get a top pick next year, there's some very good young players coming up that are centers. So 
It's a possibility, but the, the goal is Jack Hughes. That's who you want. I mean, that's who everybody wants. That that's the guy who's the undisputed number one, and that's the goal the Ducks are heading towards this year. Well, if you guys have nothing else, let's uh, let's call this one a, uh, a wrap and put a stamp on episode number two for Pucks of a Feather. Um, you guys know what? We're going to do a show every week like uh, we've been doing here. Eddie and I on the first show, all three of us here. Next show will be a mix of uh, just two of us, but we appreciate you guys tuning in. If you want to catch us in between the weekends, hit us up. We're, we do a Forever Mighty post-game show where we're going to break down each and every Ducks game. Uh, you can find us there as well. Look us up on Twitter, but most importantly, go check out all the articles on PucksForFeather.com. That's where you can get more in-depth on different areas of the Ducks team uh, that you need to fill the void between shows. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great one. Bye, guys.